Hello, and welcome to Transfusion's monthly podcast. I'm your host, Yara Park. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with three of the authors of the manuscript, Cost-Effectiveness of Pathogen Reduction Technology for Plasma and Platelets in Quebec, a focus on potential emerging pathogens. We're excited to welcome three of the authors today, Dr. Yves Gregoire, Yil Delage, and Marc Germain. Thank you all for joining us. Dr. Gregoire, would you please introduce yourself? Well, first, I'm not a doctor. I have a master's. Uh, so my name is Yves Grégoire. I have a master's degree in biology, and I'm working at Emma Québec as a specialist in statistics and epidemiology. I've been doing this for 12 years. Thank you. And Dr. Delage? Uh, Gilles Delage, uh, medical microbiologist by trade. Uh, I spent over 20 years of my career working at Hema-Quebec uh, in the area of transfusion transmitted infections and their prevention. And I am now retired uh, as of uh, the 1st of April. Congratulations on that. That's very exciting. And Dr. Germain. Yes, Marc Germain, uh, Vice President of Medical Affairs and Innovation at Emma Quebec. I'm also a medical microbiologist by training and also uh, some training in epidemiology. And I've been uh, working at Emma Quebec for almost 25 years now. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Let's start uh, with, can, just, can you summarize your study for our listeners? Gilles, do you want to give it a shot or? Yeah, sure. Um... Basically, what we did was uh, an economic analysis of the introduction of uh, pathogen reduction uh, in our province. Uh, and um, although uh, previous economic analyses had been uh, carried out, we felt it was important to do it from the Quebec perspective because we needed that information in terms of influencing government policy around the introduction of this uh, technology. And basically, we worked uh, closely with uh, Brian Custer, which is who is one of the uh, co-authors of that paper, who had done a previous uh, 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 economic analysis, and we used his economic model. He, held, he was very uh, instrumental in helping us develop this. Uh, but uh, a lot of the parameters that we put in were specific for the uh, for the province in terms of health costs, uh, in terms of also uh, residual risks of the infections in the present uh, in the present context, which were somewhat different from what was published uh, in his paper uh, now close to ten years ago. And what we found uh, was, I won't go into the details of the economic model, which is quite complex, but uh, basically what we found was that uh, uh, based on our circumstances, uh, clearly the um, cost-benefit ratio of uh, uh, pathogen inactivation at the present time uh, in our province, if it w were it to be introduced, is quite uh, low, if you want, uh, 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 and does not meet the usual criteria for um, introduction of health systems in a publicly funded health system. However, we also programmed uh, in our study uh, scenarios where 
a HIV-like pathogen or a West Nile virus-like pathogen were introduced de novo into uh, our population. And uh, particularly with the HIV model, uh, we found that uh, the cost-benefit uh, uh, ratios became much more interesting. And that basically reflects the fact that uh, pathogen reduction is an insurance policy against uh, um, um, emerging pathogens, and as such, uh, would be most most uh, beneficial if such uh, 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 an emerging pathogen emerged and uh, uh, it was a significant threat to the safety of the blood supply. I guess that's pretty much summers, uh, summarizes it. Maybe my uh, colleagues will want to add some, uh, some, some comments to that. Yeah, I, I think uh, compared to the previous study, the, 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 the main uh, new feature of this approach was to consider uh, potential emerging pathogens, which uh, to my knowledge had, not, had never been done uh, in terms of uh, trying to analyze the cost effectiveness of pathogen uh, reduction technologies. In fact, uh, these technologies, uh, their main advantage is with respect to emerging pathogens. For the known risks, uh, I think we can all agree that uh, our current measures, including, for example, uh, measures taken to uh, prevent bacterial contamination of platelets by culturing platelets, these measures are highly efficient and uh, the known residual risks that exist uh, uh, benefit very little from the added uh, security provided by uh, pathogen inactivation. However, if we have a scenario in which a new emerging pathogen, yet unknown, uh, get its way into the transfusion system, uh, then uh, our results indicate that even from an economic perspective, uh, this technology uh, could uh, could be deemed uh, much more acceptable than just looking at uh, known uh, existing risks, uh, which is in the paper called with what we call the base model. So, how did you come up with the idea for the study? Well, it it's very much uh, as uh, my colleague Gilles uh, mentioned uh, when we were discussing with uh, the um, government in terms of. Uh, our plans to eventually implement this technology, there was the concern about the cost of this technology and the cost effectiveness because um, health officials have access, obviously, to the literature and they were looking at previous studies uh, in which the cost effectiveness has been had been analyzed and uh, they didn't find it very attractive. Uh, just in passing, we know that in the realm of transfusion, uh, safety, uh, the threshold for introducing uh, safety measures uh, is somewhat uh, somewhat higher in terms of cost effectiveness compared to uh, other uh, areas of medicine. But regardless, uh, the um, health authorities had very little appetite for this new technology, considering the cost, uh, because of the er- these earlier results. So the idea was to show to them that uh, first of all, to explain to them that uh, this uh, technology, as Gilles explained, is is really an insurance policy against a new unknown emerging pathogen. Uh, and that as such, uh, just a mere uh, examination of cost effectiveness with known risk uh, is is not is not enough to to uh, 
to have a, a good uh, feeling of the benefits of this technology. But even if you do a cost effectiveness uh, evaluation, uh, but including these scenarios of emerging pathogens, uh, then the technologies also become uh, more attractive in terms uh, in, 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 on basic economic uh, health economic terms. So that that was the motivation for not only repeating the study but also adding uh, the uh, the aspect of looking at emerging pathogens. So two of the three of you are microbiologists. Do you believe there will be a new emerging pathogen in our future? I mean. Obviously, we're all living through the COVID pandemic. Do you think there's something that was will be coming that will affect the blood supply? I mean, I mean Gilles, Gilles has, uh, has, has already answered this question in previous discussions of this sort. And we are sure uh, 100% that there will be a new emergent pathogen uh, that will threaten the blood supply. The question is when? And that we don't know, but it's 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 virtually assured that we will have another uh, pathogen at some point that will pose a threat to uh, transfusion safety. Uh, what kind of threat? The, the what, what will be the level of this threat? The, the uh, how how fast will we be able to identify this threat and take measures to reduce the threat? Those are questions for which we don't have answers. But I think it can be. Uh, it can be a safe bet, uh, more than a safe bet, to say that there will be other pathogens down the road that will pose a, a risk to uh, to transfusion safety. Uh, I think technology has evolved to a point that, uh, compared to the era of HIV, for example, where it took quite a while before we were able to identify uh, the culprit and then put in place uh, measures to uh, increase safety. Fortunately, nowadays our technologies have evolved such that we will be able to recognize more quickly these emerging threats, but there will remain uh, maybe a short period of time, but a per period of time where these emerging pathogens uh, might creep into the, 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 the blood system and pose a threat to recipients. And that's really uh, the motivation for uh, thinking about uh, pathogen and activation uh, technologies. Currently in Quebec, what is this role of pathogen reduction? Is it commonplace? Is it not done at all? Uh, for the moment, it's not uh, done at all, at all uh, yet. Uh, our colleagues at uh, Canadian Blood Services have just started uh, a, a program uh, by which uh, they test, uh, they, they inactivate about 10% of their platelet inventory. Uh, we are aiming to do about the same thing within a period of one year or two, but the current time, uh, the technology has not been uh, introduced in our, in our system. We're planning to do so over the next couple of years. Gotcha. Okay, so for all of us non-mathematical modelers out here, can you explain how the math mo mathematical model was set up? Uh, yes, uh, I, I'm the, well, the, the, mat the medical, mathematical model was set up um, using a software called TreeH Pro. And basically it, it's, it starts with, it, it's like a tree. It's split, you have a branch, it splits into whether you have the uh, current screening test or you compare it with uh, Pathogen, uh, pathogen reduction technology, then you start saying, okay, what was it? And uh, you will eventually add um, more 
the branches, there will be more branches that will be split. And depending on what type of product you, what type of product you have received, either platelets or plasma, and then you introduce the complications. So there were 14 complications in the model and for, for every complication possible, you calculate the risk of transfusion transmission. And then if the recipient, uh, was infected, then now you start modeling how the disease would evolve. So what, and in this, you calculate what would be the costs associated with the disease and what would be the outcomes, uh, how many years the patient uh, which was infected would survive after the transfusion. And, uh, and so, and you do it and there's a Markov model, a model that looks at one year at a time what is going to happen? So at the end of the year, will the patient still be alive? Uh, in, in a case like HIV, will the patient still be in HIV if, if assuming the patient was infected or will the patient go to, uh, uh, go to the AIDS stage? And you start every and you look at another year and you follow the patient until the patient dies. And so you calculate how long the patient will live and how long uh, and what would be the cost associated with not only treating the patient, but the cost associated with the current screens and um, the pathogen te uh, reduction technology as well. And so, but it's a simulation. It runs it. Uh, you can run it over 10,000 times, 100,000 times, and you, you calculate averages over the, the many simulations you, uh, you've made. That was good because, yes, I'm not a mathematical modeler and I read that part and I didn't quite get all of it, but that was a nice explanation. And so you, report, you reported out your results as um, quality adjusted life years. So basically how many more good years this technology would give a patient? Is that my, is that my layman's understanding? Yes. Okay, good. It's, good. it's not only good years, but, you know, a patient that would be in perfect health so somebody, somebody who didn't receive a transfusion, one year would have a ponderation of one. But a patient that receives a, trans, a transfusion already, you expect the quality of life to be a bit lower. So instead of one, it would be 0.9, the quality of life. But we can adjust the quality of life depending on uh, the severity of the disease. Someone who has HIV may have a quality of life of 0.8 and AIDS of 0.5. So... This not only takes into account the number of years, but the quality of life itself during these years. Very interesting. And when you built the models, you you assumed you would continue to do all the things you currently do screening-wise and testing-wise. You were just adding on the pathogen reduction. The one major, the one main exception is uh, uh, bacterial testing. That's uh, because then we assume that uh, it would be useless to, to continue testing if we were to introduce pathogen inactivation. But yes, all the other uh, measures would be kept in place. And it is possible uh, that the cost effectiveness would go down slightly, but still would go down if we were to remove some of the screening tests, for example, uh, syphilis or, or nucleic acid testing. But that, that obviously is another... Uh, 
is another thing to consider. You know, you need to consider all the regulatory aspects of that, and and we're not there yet. So, but the the basic uh, thing is that uh, we it would be added to everything else, with the exception of bacterial testing. If I may add to, uh, to this, um, the reason why we looked at it as an add-on without removing the test apart from bacterial contamination was that uh, uh, we felt that at the present time, from the regulatory perspective, uh, the health authorities would not allow us to remove tests, even if we introduced it. And that was important because the economic analysis has to take care, take into account that reality uh, when presenting the data to our, our health authorities for uh, for consideration. Why did you choose an HIV-like and a West Nile-like virus for your model? I'll, I'll take that one on. <clears throat> In fact, what we wanted to do originally was to say, let's model a, a, a uh, an emerging pathogen, uh, in uh, and what would happen if an emerging pathogen would uh, appear? Comparing pathogen inactivated product versus non-pathogen inactivated product. The problem with that is what a organism, what characteristics does it have? Uh, it's very difficult to predict. I mean, there's been emerging pathogens uh, all along, but, you know, we had Zika a certain number of years ago, almost no transfusion consequences. It is transfusion transmissible, but very little morbidity and very little, uh, very few numbers of cases. Uh, Then we had the COVID-19, which basically... I think the, the the consensus now is that is not transfusion transmissible. Uh, what the next one will be, we don't know. The advantage with using HIV and West Nile virus is we had robust data in Quebec as to transfusion transmission, uh, rates of infection in blood donors uh, that allowed us to develop a very r- robust model of uh, the consequences if such a, a, a new agent with the same characteristics w- would arise. And why we use a West Nile and an HIV is HIV and inf- chronic infection, major consequences in terms of, um, of health. Uh, West Nile virus, an acute infection, uh, usually uh, non-significant except in the immunocompromised individuals. So it was like two models and uh, uh, two... Um, let's say, archetypes of, of, of microorganisms that we felt was uh, uh, were uh, appropriate to analyze to give at least some perspective. We could have put in uh, even more, but those are the ones that for which we felt we had good data and that allowed us to do a robust analysis. So when I read the study, I was actually surprised by the results that the cost for quality um, adjusted life years was quite high. And I thought, well, this actually convinced people to do the pathogen reduction. But then I, in your discussion, or your, you'd mentioned that the, for, you know, nucleic acid testing for hepatitis and HIV, it's, you know, over a million dollars per quality adjusted life year. And for Zika, it was a hundred million so I'm surprised that those things move so quickly. In Canada, did you have to test for Zika like we did here in the U.S.? 
No, fortunately not. Uh, we were able to avoid this one. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, we were very, we were very glad that we could uh, not go there. Uh, that, that we did not have to go there. Uh, and, and of course, this is an extreme case in terms of cost effectiveness. It's, it's basically because there was no actual uh, significant risk uh, to, uh, to the, the, the American population in hindsight. Uh, but I, I think the point here is that uh, most technologies that are used in the uh, blood system to prevent uh, the, transmus- the transmission of uh, infections uh, have very low cost effectiveness when compared to other uh, healthcare uh, technologies. Uh, that's that's an accepted fact, and I think there are good reasons why this uh, threshold is different. Uh, we've all lived through uh, the uh, HIV uh, crisis. Uh, we know what the impact of that has been, and there always has been a, a, a focus on making sure that transfusion was as safe as possible, even if the costs were uh, deemed uh, much higher than other health interventions. And that's why in, in the paper, we basically used a $1 million per qualities uh, standard, if you wish, as, as the accepted uh, level at which uh, we, uh, we uh, introduce uh, these uh, technologies. It's not a written rule anywhere, but uh, certainly uh, a lot of these technologies that are in place to, uh, to protect the uh, blood system uh, are within that range in terms of cost effectiveness. And that's why we use that base, that, uh, uh, that uh, threshold as a comparison with uh, these uh, scenarios that we explored. Yara, uh, since you mentioned Zika, I'd like to make a comment. Uh, I think that is uh, of, of some importance. Our study did not evaluate the cons- other economic consequences of not introducing uh, uh, pathogen inactivation apart from the impact of the uh, the existing organisms in terms of morbidity to individuals. And the Zika uh, 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 situation is a, 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 a prime example of that. In the U.S., because they didn't have pathogen activation for all blood products, they felt compelled uh, and basically they were they were ordered by the regulatory agencies to introduce testing. And it cost the, the, the U.S. Uh, uh, health system an enormous amount of money to, for almost no gain. Now, in our studies, we're talking about uh, in the area of a couple of million uh, per, per, per quality. But if you look at the, uh, the, the, the uh, Zika testing, uh, the... Um, Cost-benefit ratios were even much worse. And basically, had they had pathogen inactivation for all products, it's clear that they would probably not have gone that way. So I, I and so I think that uh, uh, any economic model is also a simplification of the reality. And there are some costs that we don't take into account, which would probably counterbalance and make more attractive, if you want, uh, pathogen inactivation from the economic point of view. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point that uh, Jill is making in the sense that uh, if 
pathogen inactivation had been in place for all types of products, not just platelets and plasma, but also red cells. And we're not there yet. But if it had been in place when Zika hit us, uh, like Gilles said, uh, I think nobody would have thought about testing because we would be all reassured that pathogen inactivation uh, would take care of the, the, the problem. Uh, but we didn't know before, uh, you know, at the beginning of the Zika crisis, some people, uh, rightly so, were very much worried about the impact of this virus on transfusion safety. And that was the basis for going ahead uh, with testing in the U.S. And it cost a lot of money, which would have been saved if pathogen and, and activation uh, had been in place. So that's an indirect uh, positive effect of pathogen inactivation. Uh, in the sense that uh, it would prevent us from taking extreme measures in situation of uh, uncertainty uh, because uh, we would be reassured that this technology would, would do the job. So I have a small hospital-based blood donation center where we collect platelets, and I was here during the Zika and had to rapidly find a way to get testing. And it's actually one of the reasons I decided to bring or we decided to bring pathogen reduction up in our center is we wanted to be ready for the next thing where we were told very quickly to get testing ready. And there wasn't even a test available when we were told we had to test. So I definitely see the advantage also in addition to the bacterial protection and, and other things, but it's nice to not have to worry about the next thing down the pike. Cause like you said, there will be something at some point. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm glad that y'all didn't have to deal with the Zika. It was was not a great experience. It's not that we didn't have to deal with it, but the solution that we uh, thought about and proposed was was acceptable uh, both to us and to our regulators, uh, fortunately. Uh, but it, it was a major concern for us too, uh, especially of course in, in the in the early days of of the uh, situation. So. Looking back at your study, what surprised you the most from your findings? Uh, I think what surprised us a bit, although once we looked at our numbers, it made sense, is that the, the, the cost-benefit was uh, somewhat higher than what had been found, uh, quite a bit higher, in fact, than what had been found with uh, by uh, Brian Custer uh, a number of years ago. But that basically was explained by the fact that our residual risks uh, numbers that we used to build the model were uh, were smaller than those being used by Brian Custer, and that's explainable by uh, the passage of time and uh, other considerations. And also, uh, uh, we um, had uh, introduced enhanced culture methods for bacterial contamination, which basically reduced the risk, which was a big driver of the uh, of the um, of the uh, economic analysis in our uh, model. So, uh, it, although it was su surprising at first, uh, once we went through the numbers, uh, we were reassured that the numbers that we were churning out uh, were a, a reflection of the our our reality in Quebec uh, in the year where we did it. And for me, another surprise, uh, again quite explainable, uh, based on on the model itself, uh, was the fact that for. Uh, the scenario involving uh, West Nile virus-like pathogen, uh, the cost-effectiveness of uh, pathogen inactivation is still quite high. Uh, 
and, and that's obviously explained because um, these are acute infections. They, they resolve themselves. There, there's, a, there's not a long incubation period, etc. cetera. Uh, but still, I was, uh, let's say, somewhat disappointed that uh, the cost effectiveness uh, was not uh, better than what uh, it turned out to be in the evaluation. Uh, it goes back to the previous point, which is that uh, this technology might not be very cost-effective effective for these types of pathogen, uh, but they would at least alleviate our concern uh, whenever these, uh, you know, acute type of infections emerge in the population, and and we have the concern that they might uh, spill into the the blood system. But from a cost-effectiveness perspective, that's not where you have the most. Uh, the, the, the highest gain. The highest gain is really with uh, pathogens that uh, are uh, analogous to HIV with long incubation periods, high morbidity, uh, etc. So that that was my my surprise. Just a, a note in in addition, uh, an added comment to this. Um, it is important to understand that the West Nile model we use was a West Nile the West Nile data for Quebec. Now Quebec is at pretty much north of of the areas where there's a lot of West Nile virus transmission during summer. And we certainly get much less uh, numbers of infection than, let's say, if we were in Colorado. So if we had done that economic model, but using Colorado data, we might have come up with somewhat of a different uh, uh, result. Uh, our result is valid for our jurisdiction, and it's important to understand that because basically uh, these economic models are depend on the specific epidemiological circumstances of the various microorganisms in a, a given jurisdiction. So the, the, the numbers can vary uh, from uh, one area of the world to another. Uh, and that's why these studies often have to be uh, repeated and uh, carried out using uh, the appropriate per parameters of microbial uh, behavior uh, in the jurisdictions to which uh, the numbers are to be applied. So last question, what's next for your group? Well, in terms of... Uh cost-effectiveness analysis of this technology. I think I, I don't think we have plans, certainly not in the short term, to repeat this. Uh, I think we have all we need to, um, to, to go on with our discussions with uh, uh, the deciders. Uh, and uh, it was presented first of all internally to uh, at some point even to our board. Uh, and, and so that will be the basis for um, negotiating, if you wish, with uh, health authorities when, whenever we implement uh, the technology. Like I explained earlier, our plans are to do so within a uh, time frame of uh, two, three years from now. Uh, but uh, no further plans in terms of uh, refining or repeating this particular analysis. Uh, we might, uh, again, delve into cost-effectiveness evaluations, but if we do so, I think it will involve uh, other uh, technologies, other uh, strategies that we apply to uh, uh, make the blood supplies safe or safer. Uh, but uh, no, no, uh, no uh, precise plans uh, in this uh, area at this point. 
Maybe to, to just an add-on to this is that in the eventuality where there will be uh, processes uh, that are applicable to all uh, blood products, including red cells, which is the most frequently uh, transfused product, it might eventually become uh, interesting to us to repeat that the uh, the analysis taking into account uh, red cells, which we didn't do in our model because there's no process available at the present time to inactivate uh, pathogens in red cells. But clearly the clinical studies are ongoing and it's probably just a question of time before uh, such products are licensed for use in, in North America. And that's our show. Thank you to Mr. Gregoire, Dr. Delage and Dr. Germain for joining us for a really fascinating discussion. This has been Yara Park for Transfusions Monthly Podcast. See you next time.